0: Everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's struggles and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Doug Noel. Doug is an award winning author, speaker, and trainer. After 22 years as a trial lawyer, Doug became a peacemaker and mediator. Today, he helps people solve intractable conflicts and teaches others to do what he does. Doug is an adjunct professor of law at the Pepperdine School of Law, where he teaches decision making under uncertainty conflict. Doug is the co-founder of the award winning Prison of Peace Project, in which he teaches murderers in maximum security prisons to be mediators and peacemakers. Doug has trained mediators and leaders in the United States, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia in his innovative peacekeeping and mediation processes. He has personally mediated over 1,500 disputes, including sexual abuse cases in the Catholic Church and criminal victim offender cases. Doug has written four books, his latest entitled, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Welcome, Doug, to the podcast.
1: Hey, Ron. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's an honor to have you, sir. It really Thank is. How did, Doug, how did you become a lawyer turned peacemaker?
1: Well, my journey started in Southern California, where I was born and grew up, and I went back east to college at Dartmouth College, and in, this was back in the late 60s and early 70s, and in those days, if you didn't go to med school and you were Ivy League, you went to law school. So I came back from, from New Hampshire, and uh, I would had enough of the New England weather, and took a year off and then entered law school, and and I liked law school. I enjoyed it, and I did well academically and ended up taking a job clerking for a judge in, here in Central California, and then after that, in 1978, joined a law firm uh, that was primarily a civil litigation and bankruptcy law firm, usually handling very large commercial cases. And since we're in the agricultural center of the world here in the Central Valley, uh yeah, you know, tended to be big complex cases involving a lot of money and a lot of disputes. And our firm tended to represent people from outside the area. We were, we weren't members of the country club, <laughs> you know, or yeah. any of that stuff. We were all, we were pretty much rebels and outsiders. And so that's what I did. But my, the change occurred over a period of 15 years. In the mid-80s I took up the martial arts. I finally I earned my second degree black belt when I turned 40. And then wow, right. my teacher asked me to start studying tai chi and i did and it was the tai chi that really changed me because tai chi is the oldest of oldest martial art all martial arts come from tai chi and tai chi is extremely vicious it's a killing it's a killing art uh most people don't know that most people who teach tai chi are not martial artists (laughs) they're more like tai chi yoga instructors i
0: I gotta tell you i i was in china back in uh the early 2000s and they were doing tai chi in the park it's of course and it's phenomenal exercise yeah. and it's all kinds of studies have
1: shown how beneficial it is especially to people who are a little older anyways tai chi has two paradoxes the first is the softer you are the stronger you are and the second is the more vulnerable you are the more powerful you are soft to be strong vulnerable to be vulnerable to be powerful that, that did not compute in the beginning but eventually with practice it seeped into my soul until one day in the late 90s I was in a courtroom cross-examining somebody and the thought came to me, what the heck am I doing in here? And to make a long story short, I went through a, 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 a process of deep reflection and ultimately learned about a new master's degree program in peacemaking and conflict studies being offered at Fresno Pacific University, which is one of the West Coast Mennonite universities. And I enrolled and it completely changed my life. Everything that all the problems and concerns I had about legal process and the law and the court, our judicial system's ability to handle conflict, I now understood why people hated lawyers. (laughs) And I understood why the legal system um, has been asked to solve conflicts that it is not designed to handle. So I ultimately decided to, to stop practicing law. I walked away from $10 million, gave a week's notice to my law firm as a senior partner, and opened up my peacemaking practice in November of 2000. And that's how it started. And I did it on a. I did it. I did it. Everything I told my clients never to do. Right? No business plan. No backup savings. No nothing. <laughs> it was all all on faith. And yeah, yeah. I. It, it's been an amazing ride since then. In 2005, I discovered a really innovative and counterintuitive way to calm people down quickly, which was then in 2007 was uh, validated by some brain scanning studies coming out of UCLA. And then in 2010, my dear friend and colleague Laurel Crawford and I started the Prison of Peace Project, where we were taking all of these ideas that I've I'd been developing and started applying them in maximum security prisons. So that's that's kind of how it all started.
0: So for the past ten years, you have trained, and I understand. Do I have this right? Thousands of murderers.
1: So uh, not everybody we've trained has been a murderer, but we probably we and our trainers have, have trained over twenty thousand inmates.
0: Okay. Um, And that's
1: just in California and Connecticut. That doesn't include Europe, where we have other programs going with colleagues.
0: So these Um, murderers were serving life sentences, but you are training them to be peacemakers. So tell, tell us about the Prison of Peace project.
1: Well, the project started with a letter that Laurel received from a woman serving a life sentence without possibility of parole. And she was serving her sentence in the what was then the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, Valley State Prison for Women in Chowchilla, California. And it turns out that, that prison is about an hour and 15 minutes from where I live. So Laurel was at her mailbox. She knows that I live, live up here and uh, called me and read the, read the letter to me and said, what do you think? And I thought about it for a second. I said, I think we should do this. So we spent six months getting permission to get into the prison and started with our first 15 women in April of 2010. And these women were ages from 65 down to about early 30s, all different ethnic diversities, educational level, but they were all lifers and long-termers. And they wanted to learn how to be peacemakers to stop the violence because they it was their impression that the prison guards were not stopping violence, and so if they wanted to stop it, they had to do it themselves. So that's how it started, and Laurel and I devised a very unique curriculum. We're both we're both graduate professors at Pepperdine, and, and we so we're both academic and scholars as well as practitioners, and decided that we had to do something very different than ordinary mediation training, and, and that's what we did. And by the time we were six weeks into the first cohort of 15 women we had out of a prison, population of 3,300 we had a waiting list of another, about 400 women. Wow. <laughs> who, who heard about the program and wanted to get in on it? So it worked, we worked for three years in that prison and then the government the, the state repurposed it to a men's prison and ultimately we went back into the same prison and started training men, not knowing how that was going to go. and we got exactly the same results with the men that we got from the women. And then we started getting funding finally in 2017. And that's when we really started to expand. And now we we have about 20 trainers. All of our trainers are formal, former incarcerated people who we trained in prison, who became our top trainers in prison. And when they got released, we hired them. And so now they're working for us. And of course, the pandemic shut everything down. So we pivoted and took got a spent three-quarters of a million dollars and hired a Hollywood film crew and filmed our entire curriculum. And so later this summer, we'll be able to offer prison of peace to anybody in the world that wants wow. to do this, because we'll be able to subtitle everything in different languages. It's all closed captioned. And it's an amaz- it's been an amazing experience. We've touched a lot of lives. I think in California, we've had somewhere in the order of 6,000 people go through our program that have been released on parole and we've we've we have no reports of recidivism we don't know of any one of our students who's reoffended once they've come out of
0: prison I have a couple questions uh number one would be how much did, did the program cut down on violence and also can you tell us uh some of your biggest successes uh dealing with the, pe- the prisoners murders and in some cases that you worked with
1: sure so we don't have we, we've never been able to keep any kind of statistical information on what happens in a given prison yard where we go in and, and it takes three years to embed the program in a yard. And we don't have any way of measuring that. But we have a lot of anecdotal evidence. And we have letters from wardens who have told us their perspectives on, on the effect of the project and the training on on the yards. In fact, the warden at Valley State prison for women wrote us unsolicited letters saying, this is no longer a violent prison because of the wow. work that you guys have done. Unbelievable. So a lot of anecdotal evidence, nothing nothing empirical that we can point to. In terms of, I mean, obviously a lot of stories,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. stories that are really touching. Um, the story that I talk about the most is probably the first story. And then we were five weeks into our training at uh, VSPW and with the women and one of, we walked into the a conference room where we were doing the training one day, and one of the we got there a little early, and one of the women was there early, and she was kind of over in the corner, quietly sobbing. And we walked over, and Laurel knelt, knelt next to her and said, "What's going on, Sarah?" And she looked up, and she said, she told us her story, and her story was that. She had She already been in prison for 18 years. She was serving a 25 to life sentence because as a drunk driver, she had killed a family of four and walked away from the wreck completely unscathed. She had to give up her three-year-old son to her sister to raise. And for every week that she'd been in prison, she wrote to her son and never heard from him. No phone calls, no visits, no letters, no nothing. Everything she learned about her son came through her sister. And then she told us that she said, last, after last class, I decided to write him a letter using the techniques and skills you all have been teaching us and teaching me. And t- today, for the first time in 18 years, I received a letter back from my son. Wow. And he said he was very angry. And he had a right to be. He should be angry. But at the end of the letter, he said, Mom, I love you. I'm bringing my girlfriend. We're going to come visit you in three weeks. Wow. And what, he, what she did in that letter was doing what we teach, which is basically, uh, think about what, in, in, in this letter case, her, what she told herself was, I got, what has he experienced in the last 21 years or last 18 years with a mother who's completely abandoned him and is now a felon serving a life sentence in prison? What must he emotionally have gone through? And then she just wrote, wrote a letter describing all his emotions and everything that he must have experienced. And that's all he needed. He needed her to validate him in order to end the estrangement.
0: That's a great story. That's a great story. And it must have uh made you feel validated to hear something like that.
1: It did. I, 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 mean, you, I was I actually mean, stunned. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, here you know that what you have done has paid off and you have affected a life. You know, right. and Probably countless
1: lives. That's right. I'll, I'll just give you one other quick story. This is very recent. So that one goes all the way back to 2010. Earlier this year, uh, or actually a couple months ago, Laurel called me and said, "Hey, I, I need to tell you a story." And I said, "What?" And he said, "Well, Anna. Now, Anna was one of the women in this very first class back in 2000, April 2010. She got, she was released, married, uh, got married, and." They're happily married, living in Southern California, and they have two boys that are now, I think, five and six or four and five or something like that. And she said, can you take the boys and my husband for a day? I just need a day off to get stuff done. They love being with you. And Laurel's like a second mother to her. And Laurel said, fine, bring them over. So the kids were all out on the lawn playing in the sprinklers and just having a great old time. And she heard them using the same skills on each other, listening to each other, The same way that we taught Anna ten years ago or twelve years ago. And she obviously had been teaching her kids how to listen. And they were using those skills on themselves to keep themselves all calm and happy. And Laurel said, Isn't that amazing? And I said, And isn't that exactly why we've been doing this? To spread to spread out these this message these these tools of peace that work so effectively. And now and now one of our very first students. Kids are doing this totally unselfconsciously. For them, it's just a way of life.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Doug, tell us what you mean uh, when you use the term. I would like to break away for a moment to tell you about a great course our podcast supporter, Doug No, has developed titled Developing Emotional Competency and Advanced Emotional Competency, sold as one combined item. Doug is an award-winning author, speaker, 22-year veteran trial lawyer, adjunct professor of law, peacemaker, and mediator. Doug co-founded the award-winning Prison of Peace Project, in which he taught murderers and other violent criminals in maximum security prisons to be mediators and peacemakers with positive results. This course will teach you the nature of emotions, the abuse caused by emotional invalidation, and a powerful counterintuitive skill called affect labeling. When you complete the course and practice the skills learned, you will experience a profound transformation in your life. Who is the course for? Smart, ambitious, goal-oriented, get-the-job-done, and pride-in-doing-a-good-job people. But you are about to be verbally assaulted in a public space by your boss and you freeze. Someone on your team is being a jerk in a meeting and you don't know how to handle the situation. You can't get a word in edgewise with your boss or colleagues. You are not assertive enough or overly assertive and called nasty names. You work with an annoying person that just infuriates you. Your customers are angry and hostile at every turn. Work and personal situations can leave you emotionally drained. You might think something is wrong with you. After all, you are smart, you're educated, you earned your position through hard work. So why are you struggling with emotions? You should have mastered all this by now, right? Wrong. You have been disconnected from your emotions by your upbringing and training. You have been taught to suppress your emotions. They feel like enemies. Consequently, you haven't learned the skills necessary to be emotionally self-aware. This is why you don't always know how to manage your feelings. You were never taught emotional self-regulation other than to shove your emotions down where they couldn't be seen or felt. You are not alone. Everyone suffers from the same difficulties. This course will teach you step by step how to handle emotions in any situation. It is a set of techniques that will teach you to effectively respond to challenging interactions, create a new set of reactions to anger and hostility, to learn the power of emotional self-regulation and social power. You will use your emotions to get ahead in life, become a more powerful and confident leader, unlock the secrets of self-empowerment, become an emotionally self-aware human being, and enjoy greater freedom from emotional exhaustion. This is the first course that teaches emotional self-awareness. The combined course, which includes the basic and advanced course consisting of 23 lessons, sells regularly for $378. For our podcast listeners, by using the link provided in the podcast notes and using the code RonRap when you enroll in the course, you will get a discount of $100 off the combined course, bringing the cost down to $278. That's about $12 a lesson. The course is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. If for any reason this course does not exceed your expectation, you can get a full refund anytime within 30 days after your purchase. If you have any issues, just get in touch with the Friendly Support Team, and they'll either help you out until you get the results you need or give you a swift refund. Again, all ordering information will be listed in the podcast notes, and also uh, the course may be ordered on the podcast website. It's a wrapwithwrap.com. Under the tab marked resources, listen others into existence.
1: So what I have learned from years of experience working both in prisons and in all kinds of conflicts is that most people do not grow up in emotionally safe environments. Even in the most loving families, they're still emotionally unsafe. So that means that most people have never been deeply listened to at a deep emotional level. And the skills that I teach, teach a listener how to validate the emotional experience of the speaker at a very deep and profound way. And when they do that, the listener feels, uh, the speaker feels like he or she has been heard for the first time in their life. And I've witnessed this over and over again. The phrase came to me, well, the way I came up with the phrase was I was, Doing some training in a school, at a middle school, and we were doing a peace circle, and and which involves this kind of listening. And one of the participants was an administ- uh, a, a district administrator. And so when we debriefed the pre- peace circle, the experience that everybody had, I said, "So what was your experience?" And she said, "That's the first time I felt listened to in my entire life." And here's a woman who's in her late 30s, professional, you know. <laughs> and okay. had, she said, "I've always been ignored. I've always." been h- hidden invisible to people and in this experience I, I, I did not feel invisible I felt validated I felt listened I felt like I was listened into existence mm. and so the light bulb went on and then as I observed my work in dealing with conflicts as a peacemaker and mediator helping people s- solve their problems as I listened to them at this deep level they a lot many people tear up and they they're just so grateful that finally somebody gets them. And that's what listening others into existence is. And it's easy to do. It costs us nothing. And every time we do it, we put another ripple of peace into, in, or we put, throw another stone and start the ripples of peace in the pool. It's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. How exactly, Doug, and everybody out there is probably wondering this question, how do you calm an angry person in 90 seconds oops, or less?
1: So the technique that I discovered uh, was in 2005 in a very difficult mediation, and then two years later, the brain uh, out of uh, Matthew Lieberman's neuroscience lab at UCLA he published the brain scanning studies that show what happens. And basically, you, the the technique is a technique called affect labeling, A F F E C T labeling, and what you're essentially what you're doing is reflecting back. The speaker's emotional experience using a you statement. So I would say something like, Ron, you're really angry. You're, oh, you're so pissed off. You're not being listened to. You feel frustrated. And, you know, you're a little anxious. And you're sad. You feel like you've been betrayed and completely abandoned and humiliated. And the whole thing just really, really, really upsets you. So assuming you were angry, what happens, what would be happening in your brain is, as I'm reflecting back your emotions to you, the emotional centers of your brain are inhibited automatically. And at the same time, a part of your brain, your executive function, which is in the ventral lateral prefrontal cortex, is activated. So you you, you start to think again as your emotions decline, and it takes anywhere between 45 and 60 seconds. My publisher didn't like 60 seconds, so they made it 90 seconds. Okay. <laughs> uh, but What I've discovered is that this technique, this idea, works on any human brain. I've had students overseas. I've had students in the Middle East. I've had students in Southeast Asia. uh, And it doesn't really matter what the culture is. As long as you reflect back the emotional experience using a use statement, the brain reacts in exactly the same way. And it's all unconscious. The, the, The speaker doesn't even know what you're doing. And you can literally calm any angry person in 90 seconds or less and that's why i say you know if you want to stop fights and arguments forever learn how to do this and once you learn how to do this you will never have a fight or argument again in your life they go away completely
0: i'm gonna try it for sure
1: so here's here's the th- there are three steps involved number one ignore the words ignore the words it's just white noise If you listen to the words, you're going to get triggered. You're going to get sucked into the conflict. So you've got to learn to be disciplined. Ignore the words. Number two, read the emotional data fields. Every person is emotional all the time. We're all throwing off emotional information. It's all nonverbal. And our brains, interestingly, have the innate ability to pick up on that information, assimilate it, interpret it, and analyze it, and, and it's all done pre-consciously. We don't have to think about it. So the way we do this is just by we're ignoring the words, now we're just gonna sit in silence and let our brains do the work without even thinking about it. We're not gonna try to effort this. And in a moment or two, emotions will start coming into your consciousness. And then the third step, and this is what gets a little hard for people, is that you're gonna reflect back the emotions that come into your head with a use statement. You are angry, you're frustrated, you feel disrespected, you don't feel appreciated, nobody's listening to you. Um, You're frightened or scared or anxious. You feel um, sad, you feel shame or humiliation, you feel abandoned and unloved, feel sad. It's just simply a you statement describing the emotion that that person is experiencing in the moment and that's all it is. And then you do that until you get four unconscious reactions. A nodding of the head up and down, some kind of verbal response like, yeah, or exactly. And you'll get a dropping of the shoulders and a sigh, a relaxation sigh, a sigh of relief. Ugh, finally, somebody heard me. And when you're done, you've calmed them down. And it usually takes, like I said, 30 to 60 seconds. Sometimes it takes a little longer. And at that point in time is when you can start i mean most of the time when you get somebody calmed down you don't have to do anything more but but sometimes you still there's a problem out there that has to be solved and that's when you can start your problem solving
0: (laughs) you said that second step was read the emotional data field Mm -hmm. so that's done visually there's no yeah it's done with your eye
1: it's done with your whole body because emotions emotional data is uses all senses it's not only only seven percent of all Human communication is verbal, words. The rest of it's nonverbal. It's our pheromones, how we smell, <laughs> amazingly enough. It's obviously our eyes, our facial expressions, body language, tone of voice, speed of voice, tonality, and all that sort of stuff. All of that plays into our brain is able to process and understand how other people are feeling or what their emotional experience is taking in all of this data that the other person is sending out. Gotcha. So, it's like reading numbers of a spreadsheet. And, and once you learn how to read the data, it no longer is is chaotic, it's no longer confusing or some big, this person's just crazy or irrational or whatever, no, you just, this person is being emotional right now. I see the emotions and I know what to do.
0: Uh, you talk about uh, our hidden genius. Uh, What is it and and why is it hidden? We live
1: in a society that has privileged the idea of rationality over emotions for over 4,000 years. And it turns out that the myth, that, that it's all a big myth. What separates humans from other species of animals is not rationality. It's emotion. And this is all new neuroscience. We can't even be rational unless we're emotional first. But because of this teaching that culturally had been crammed into us, and is crammed into us as children by our parents, and they learned it from their parents, and it goes back generation after generation, emotions are looked at as weak, or irrational, or even evil, or bad. And we are taught as children not to be emotional which is not to master our emotions. So for example, you probably remember, two years old, running around outside, and you fall over and scrape your knee and start to cry. What are you told? Don't, don't cry, <laughs> yeah. duck it up, buttercup. Rub dirt in it, it doesn't hurt, be a man. That, that's the worst thing you can say to a two-year-old. Because at that point in that child's life, the emotional, his emotional centers of his brain are starting to mature and, the, and he needs to have emotional experiences. And he needs to learn how to master those experiences by understanding what it is that he's experiencing. And when he's told, don't feel, he's not given that opportunity to learn. And so as a result, he, he, most people get stuck, a, many people get stuck in their emotional development at about six years old. And although they will physically mature into, a, into physical adults, their emotional maturity is still left at six years old. So our hidden genius is our emotions. And when we can learn how to unlock that hidden genius and how to master our emotions, not suppress them or repress them, but master them, we unlock a hidden genius that unleashes incredible power. And Just to give you a sense of the science behind this, there are studies that show that when children are properly emotionally coached by their parents, primarily through the process of affect labeling, that by the time they're 12 years old, they're two grade levels ahead academically of their peers. And they've got the emotional maturity of somebody who's 10 years older. So it's a very powerful tool for developing young brains. And when we get into adulthood, then the good news is, I didn't have parents that did that to me. I was an emotional wreck for years, for decades. You know, it was only after I started getting into this that I really started figuring it out and then I was in my 50s when I started learning this stuff. So, but yeah, the good yeah. news is, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can. St- your brain is plastic enough that you can start learning this stuff yourself. And when you do, the, the world completely changes. No more fights and arguments. You're calm all the time. N- you're not stressed. Um, you're able to look at people for who they are, emotional beings mostly, and have a lot of compassion. And it, it, it is a really, a, it's an amazing place to be and an amazing way to live. And when you unlock your hidden genius from your emotions, you become a much better communicator. You can speak more clearly and, and be more accurate. And you can also listen because you know what to listen for.
0: Yeah. Uh, how can we develop what you call cognitive and effective empathy, empathy in our relationships?
1: So empathy is a skill that has to be learned. Uh, Everybody talks about empathy, but nobody really knows what it is. Empathy is the ability to perceive with our five senses, perceive, assimilate, analyze, and interpret, and then reflect back the emotions of another person. And cognitive empathy is the process of ethic labeling that I've described earlier where you ignore the words, read the emotions, and reflect back the emotions with the use statement. So in that case, you're letting your brain do the processing. And when the emotions come up in your own thoughts, consciousness, you just reflect back what comes up. Affect That's called cognitive empathy. Affective empathy is a lot faster. And really what happens in cognitive empathy, I mean affective empathy, is that you're having an emotional experience. And I pick up on your emotions and I can immediately feel those emotions myself. I feel that I can feel what you're feeling. And then all I do is I just take the, what I'm feeling, res- what's resonating with me inside me, and I simply reflect that back with a you statement. And affective empathy is a lot faster and more accurate than cognitive empathy, but cognitive empathy is still very, very powerful. And you develop affective empathy as you practice cognitive empathy. I don't teach people how to do affective empathy. I say, just practice the affect labeling. And in not very long, usually three to four weeks of practice, all of a sudden you'll feel what the other person is feeling and you're able now to reflect that back very quickly and very accurately. So empathy, yeah, I was gonna say that empathy is one of the three skills, that empathy for emotional competency and emotional competency, are the skills that you need to have in order to have emotional intelligence.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. How to become emotionally intelligent by learning yeah. what you call emotional So
1: intelligence. so what 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 I have learned is that you cannot learn emotional intelligence. Despite Daniel Goleman and his ilk saying <laughs> saying you can. Emotional intelligence is a test. It's like an IQ test, like the Stanford-Binet IQ test. So you can test for emotional intelligence and say, this person has a certain level of of emotional intelligence. But I can't teach you the test. What I can teach you are the basic skills that the test measures. And those skills include emotional self-awareness, emotional self-regulation, and cognitive and affective empathy. And here's the other thing I've learned, is that people who go out, who claim Be teaching emotional intelligence one they don't teach the how of it because they don't know the how but they always try to start with teaching emotional self-awareness and that's very hard to do so what i've learned is that if i start teaching people cognitive empathy affect labeling ignore the words read the emotions reflect back the emotions with a use statement very quickly these people start not only are they watching and developing their ability to read other people's emotional data fields They're also developing the ability to feel and experience their own emotions in a very precise way And so that's their emotional self-awareness. So it develops almost automatically and once you develop emotional self-awareness it becomes much easier to build the power your strength of emotional s- self-regulation and what that means is that you might get triggered by somebody, but instead of reacting to it, you can pause and choose a different response because you're not, you're, not, you're not on a reactive programming that you got back when you were four years old. And so when you can do all of that and you take an emotional intelligence assessment, you tend to score very high on it. And that's the trick.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's a skill that every person, these are what I call the foundational skills of life.
0: what what in your opinion is the most important thing a parent can do for a child
1: well as i said before i think the most important thing a parent can do for a child is be an emotional coach model proper emotional competencies self-awareness self-regulation and empathy and i know this is a little counterintuitive but but you've got a screaming two-year-old who wants that candy bar in the market and you're embarrassed and mad and angry and frustrated because you can't get this child under control. If you just take the time to label that child's emotions with age-appropriate words, the child will literally calm down in 30 to 40 seconds every time because the child's brain is hardwired for this. And as as the child goes through all of these emotional experiences, many of them intense because they have to go through these intense experiences because they have to test the continuum. They have to test the range of going from utter joy to utter rage in two seconds or less, right? That's a two-year-old experience. That is hard, they have to go through that experience. And so if you, as a parent, understand that and can help them navigate their emotions by labeling their emotional experience for them and teaching them the words that associate with the affective experience they're having, that's the most powerful thing you can do for a child because that child will then learn how to become emotionally competent, and as I said, the studies are show amazing results. You know, kids are superior academic perfor- performers. They're well well liked. They're mature way beyond their years. They're calm. You know, they're completely socialized. No antisocial behaviors whatsoever, and they don't engage in a lot of things that we see young people engaging in today because they are emotionally really damaged.
0: Yeah. Doug, there's a lot of people out there who want to hear, hear an answer to this. Tell us how we can learn to never argue with our spouse or partner.
1: So again, it comes back to this basic skill of affect labeling. The way that I teach this is, is to start out, we start off with a very low low risk social situations. When I'm teaching people how to listen to other people into existence or de-escalate or to engage in affect labeling, the first thing I say is, don't take this back to your partner. <laughs> You got to wait a while. <laughs> you got to learn. You got to you got to really master this before you take it home. Uh, but then, when you when you do get that mastery, and like I said, it usually takes most people four to six to eight weeks of practice to get this figured out, where they, where they can get it dialed in. It doesn't take long at all. But once you get it dialed in, then the next time something comes up and your partner says something that. It could be, you know, I mean, there's so many different things in a relationship that can be said that can get you going. Uh, it could be a snarky comment. It could be a complaint. It could be a, you never do this, you never do that, or, you know, whatever it might be. Sure. You, you're you not going to respond to that comment. What you're going to do is read your partner's emotions and then reflect it back with you. Oh, dear. You're really frustrated, and you're pissed off, and you're angry, and you don't feel appreciated, you don't feel listened to. And you feel abandoned and completely unloved. And it's very upsetting. That's all you need to say. The fight's over. Yeah. Thank you for listening to me. You're welcome. What can we do to make this better?
0: That's it. That's. It's that simple. That, that's great. So everybody out there, I hope you listen <laughs> to this. It's that simple. Now,
1: I demonstrate this. Obviously, I'm very good at it. This is not something that it's something that takes some practice.
0: Yeah, I can understand. You can't it takes just some practice because the idea, that,
1: right? the idea of using a use statement and telling somebody how they feel, kind of flies in the face of everything we think we know about listening to people. So you have to overcome some social programming, erroneous social programming, but we have to overcome it because it's been deeply embedded in us from the time we were started to verbalize it about eighteen months, and so so you have to have some courage in the beginning to overcome to overcome these social ideas that don't serve us but once you do then it's amazing how things change
0: doug we live in a a politically polarized society right now explain to us how we can have a calm conversation uh discussing political issues
1: yeah, I've given this one a lot of thought, because it's a huge problem. The the, the, the the way I approach this now is to understand that if I'm dealing with somebody whose political beliefs are so radically different than me that they might even be repugnant, that there is no way I'm going to convince anybody of the righteousness of my cause. As good a lawyer as I am, and as smart as I am, I know that somebody who has a strongly held belief, is going, is not uh, their mind is not going to be changed by facts. It's not going to be changed by argument. And there's just absolutely zero point in me trying to do that. And that's the big problem we have today, is people, everybody's trying to get everybody to, 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 to succumb or concede that one person's right and the other person's wrong. And it's the immovable force against the irresistible. I mean, the immovable object against the irresistible force. There's a better way. But in order to do it this way, you have to be in a place where you don't need to be right, and you don't need to be validated, and you don't have a need to persuade somebody to your point of view. And if you can put yourself in that place, and you're talking to Uncle Charlie at the Sunday dinner table, and Uncle Charlie's just on some wacko, crazy idea out there that. You just shake your head out. You're gonna ask four questions. The first question I'm gonna ask Uncle Charlie is, Uncle Charlie, could you tell me about all the life experiences that brought you to the beliefs that you have today? What in your life caused you to have all of these beliefs? And Uncle Charlie's gonna hopefully start telling us stories about growing up and where these beliefs came from. And guess what I'm gonna do? I'm going to validate him. I'm going to talk about his emotional experiences. I'm going to say, so you really felt this, and you really felt that, and you experienced this, and you experienced that. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not going to to try to take issue with anything that he says. I'm just going to validate all of his experience, because it's his experience, and it's true. And so why not validate it? The second question I'm going to ask is, Uncle Charlie, you've got these beliefs, how do they help you navigate your world every day in your day-to-day life? How do these beliefs help you? And of course, most people have never been asked this question before and they've really never thought about it. And again, you're gonna do the same thing. You're gonna get him to tell stories, to think about how, does, how do my beliefs really help me? Because beliefs are nothing more than, they're just, it's just a decision-making shortcut. All a belief is is a decision-making shortcut. If I've got a belief I don't have to engage in, thinking about what I'm going to do. I just have the belief, belief tells me what to do, I do it. <laughs> so it's a it's a metabolic shortcut. Um, and so I want my crazy uncle Charlie to, to engage with me on how the beliefs help him. How do they serve his life? How do it make his life better? And as he talks, I'll be reflecting back. Then the third question that I ask is, assuming the conversation is still going, is, uh, So, Uncle Charlie, how do you deal with people who have different beliefs than you do? And the snarky answer is going to be, well, of course, I shoot him. Uh, But, you know, I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really, how do you deal with, you you live in places where you're dealing with people with different beliefs. How do you manage yourself around people who have beliefs that are very different than yours? And again, reflect back whatever his experience is. And then the last question is, well, Uncle Charlie, how do you think our society should be organized? And we've got all these different beliefs out there. And a lot of them are really polarized and contradictory. How do you think we should be organized to deal with all these beliefs? And, what ha- and again, you reflect, get the story going, and then reflect. And what you find when you engage in these four questions is that you have a lot more in common with Uncle Charlie than you thought
0: interesting and you learn
1: and you learn that his values are pretty we're going to be pretty much the same as your values it's just that he has a different life experience that has led him into beliefs and maybe he's getting information from a different source then you're getting your information and so you know we're polarized because our politicians are polarizing us we're not polarized because we're polarizing ourselves right. people, people are protecting their power position and privilege by fear-mongering and by creating tribalism and by getting people angry and so when you engage in these four questions you take away all that stuff and you find out that you've got a lot more in common than what separates you
0: very interesting very interesting approach tell us about emotional invalidation and why it is so deadly
1: we talked earlier about two-year-old, right? Falls right. over skins his knee. That's a form of emotional invalidation. And what happens is that because most people, many people are emotionally incompetent, that when they're in the presence of somebody who's having an emotional experience, they feel anxiety inside themselves. They feel anxious around another person's emotions. So maybe somebody's crying and you're really uncomfortable because you don't know what to do. they crying. And what you'll feel if once you become aware, you'll feel that what you're really feeling is anxiety because you don't know what to do. And emotions, you've always been taught that emotions are bad, emotions are weak, emotions are evil, emotions are irrational, and now you've got somebody who's really emotional and you just have no clue what to do. And so what what we tend to do when we're not trained properly is we try to tell this person to stop feeling what they're feeling. So we use phrases like, you're such a drama queen. Get over it. It's not that big a deal. But I do listen to you. Oh, you know, that every cloud has a silver lining. All you can do is think about yourself. You never think about anybody else. And these are, I've got a list, a five page list of <laughs> emotionally invalidating <laughs> statements. And these are all statements that are used to, tell, to judge or to tell a person not to be a certain way or telling them to be another way, all of them all of which invalidate their emotional experience. And all of which are incredibly emotionally abusive. Again, this is all science based. There's a study out of Southern California, out of San Diego County, which is an upper middle class, upper middle class county. A lot of military and military industrial people live in San Diego County and Kaiser is a big healthcare provider down there. And the, there, a researcher there, a guy by the name of Frlitti, got really interested in the relationship between hospitalizations later in life and childhood experiences. And he embarked on what is now known as the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And what he found, to his shock, was that there was a direct relationship between emotional abuse in childhood, primarily through things like emotional invalidation. And morbid, morbidity later in life from cancer, diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, name any horrible disease in life. And what what they found was there is a direct relationship. If you have been if you have been emotionally abused, th- or had these adverse childhood experiences, more than three of them, then you're more likely than not to have to have a shortened life, to engage in antisocial behavior, to be addicted, to go to prison, to um, have poor relationships that end up in divorce, to, and, and then to get these diseases that are, that tend to be, they, turn, turns out they're stress-related. And it all starts in childhood. So, and, and then there's another study out of Sweden that shows that families where their conflict is endemic have their lifespans of their children are shorter by usually five to eight years than families that don't have endemic fighting. So conflict and fighting and emotional invalidation and emotional abuse, which we all take for granted, we don't even think about it, we just do it, is actually shortening our lives and shortening the lives of our children because it's abusive. Right and because it was we were raised with emotional invalidation we were told to have the stiff upper lip and don't cry and because and parents think that they've got to toughen their kids up because it's a tough world out there and you know if I don't toughen you up emotionally then you're never going to survive that's all bullshit there's no science to support that and all the science goes the other way the science shows that if i can build an emotionally resilient child by being an emotional coach and not emotionally invalidating, but instead emotionally validating their children's emotions, then I'm going to have a kid who's incredibly resilient, who can handle anything. And not only that, he's going to be smart and socially well-adjusted well before maturity. And that's what we all want for our children. And that's what the science shows us can happen. And yet, as I've said, before in our conversation, we've got four thousand years of this myth of rationality—that emotions are bad and rationality is good—that we have to overcome. That—that that is caused more abuse than we can poss- and hard, hardship and shortened lives and horrible stuff than we can possibly imagine. It's a big—it's a big shift. It is. It's a big shift, but it's that's where the science is taking us.
0: Yeah, and uh, people have to be educated on it. That's why I
1: come onto these shows and talk to smart people like you
0: well thank you and we appreciate it and I hope everybody listening out there appreciates it as well uh, Doug, just a, just just a side note what, what effect do you think uh, cell phones and, and uh, usage and texting <laughs> have on conflicts uh,
1: I think it's I think it's inc- I, I think if you take the combination of cell phones and messaging and texting, and coupled that with the 2 years we were shut down in the pandemic it's been disastrous you know right. even now people are coming back into the workplace and they don't, they they have no clue they've lost their communication what little communication skills they have they've completely lost yeah and you know kids today have have not learned how to interact you know when you and i grew up we were thrown in the summertime, we we're thrown out of the house at eight o'clock in the morning. So don't, don't come back until dark, right? Right. We'll play. And so you play with all your friends. And in, in all that, all those millions of interactions that you had with all your friends, you learned how to negotiate. You learned how to resolve conflict. You learned, you know, how to socialize. Well, parents today don't do that with their children. They're scared to death to let their children go outside. So everything's very structured. And then you couple that with. This instant communication stuff and getting sucked into the addiction of Facebook or Instagram or any of these other social media platforms. And let's not let's call it the way it is. These are addicting platforms designed to be addicting. Facebook has a whole floor of psychologists who do nothing but figure out how to keep eyes on the screen. And you know, Facebook now. I, what I'm understanding is young people are not going to Facebook so much anymore. It's more older older group of platform. And so Facebook's really frightened because. They don't have a younger set yet, but TikTok would be a great example. Yeah. So the kids are glued to their screens, and they don't—they're not—they're not engaging in interpersonal interactions that teach them the basic skills they need to have to succeed later in life. And it's a mess. And in my work as a mediator, I—I can't—I. I'm getting called into cases where. Principles in a partnership, partners in a partnership can only communicate through text or by passing notes under the door to each other. They can't even sit in the same room and talk to each other about hard subjects.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always, that's why I wanted to ask that question. It's bad. Now, Doug, you, you offer uh, online video courses in legal negotiation and emotional de escalation. Uh, your video offerings on your YouTube. Uh, channel has garnered over 87,000 views. Uh could you give us an overview of what you offer?
1: Yeah, so first of all let's start with YouTube because YouTube is by far the biggest social media platform out there. It, there are more searches on YouTube per day than on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook combined. I mean, let's not underestimate <laughs> YouTube. YouTube yeah. So I've got, I've got three, three YouTube channels. One is, um, Douglas Noel, which is kind of, that's where I first got into it. And there's a lot of good stuff on that channel. And the other, the second one I started with my wife called, uh, empath.help because my wife works a lot with people who are highly sensitive and empathic people. And they have a lot of, they have, they need a lot of help. And so we, that's the one that we started, um, about 20 months ago. And it's, we've got, yeah, something like eighty-seven thousand subscribers. That one took off, and then in May I started a new YouTube channel called "The Power of Emotional Competency," and this has taken off too. Um, I've already got—I'm almost close to a thousand subscribers after only four weeks. Wow. These these are all free, and in all of these channels, we are—I am trying to to give people in little eight to twelve-minute video clips specific information about how to solve problems, how to be better listeners, how to So for example, I just, just did a I did a video last week on how do how do you how do you deliver bad news to somebody? And how do you go about doing that? Nobody ever teaches us how to do this. Right. Right? But it's something we all have to do and we have to learn. And there are two situations, just quickly. One is a situation where I've got Maybe I'm like you, Ron, and I'm a, I've am i got cancer, and I've got to tell somebody I've got cancer. How do I deliver my bad news to somebody else who's gonna have an emotional experience? And the other situation is where I've got to give bad news to somebody else who's gonna be affected by that bad news, and it's not affecting me. Like, you're fired, <laughs> you know, something like that. Right, so there are two right. different situations, and there are techniques that you use for delivering bad news. And what I do in all of these videos is is teach people how how do you handle this situation? What do you what do you do with this? Um, so that that's obviously a free resource and growing every day and a really great place for people to go to learn on topics that might be of interest to them. Then I've got my website, Dougnoll.com, and that's got over 150 blog blog articles on all kinds of different topics, and that's where I host my video courses. I've got a course on how to calm an angry person. It's really the de-escalate video course. And then another course I've got are the basic and advanced emotional competency courses. These are courses that I developed to teach people the skills we've been talking about today at a very advanced level. And what I've done for everybody who's listening and watching this show is there's a page uh, (coughs) that I've created Called uh, and it's at dougnoel.co, so it's a Bitly link. So, but it's not com. It's dougnoel.co/slash. It's a rep, right? Right. It's 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 dash a dash wrap. Um, and on that page, free ebook that will talk about everything that I've talked about tonight. So, if you don't have any money, just give me your email address, and you'll get you. I'll email you the the link to the ebook. You can buy my book, Deescalate, on that page. You can buy the, um, if you're interested in getting the de-escalate video course on so how to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less, that's there. And then if you really want to go big, I give, give people an $800 discount off my two big courses, um, basic and advanced emotional competency. And I, obviously I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of speaking. People hire me to, to speak at conferences, to teach at conferences, to do workshops. So all of that, I, I do that too all over the world. And people can just reach out to me at dougadugno.com i'm don't have an entourage i don't even have a virtual assistant i'm just me <laughs> so yeah. reach out to me and you'll get my you'll get a, you'll get a response from me quick
0: you okay, we're going to put this in in the podcast notes for everybody but i want to go one over one thing mm-hmm. uh you said there were three youtube channels and i want to get this straight one of them is douglas Knoll.
1: one of them is douglas Knoll, one of them is called empath help
0: okay, empath helper,
1: the, uh, i'm I got to check that one is that uh, i
0: is that i m p
1: a c t it it's e it's e-m-p-a-t-h
0: oh m empath okay.
1: empath help
0: empath dot health
1: well the what there's a website called empath help. uh if you give me one quick second i will tell you um
0: the other one was power of emotional confidence
1: yeah the power of emotional competency so let me really quickly i'm sure it's empath is it power or the power the power of emotional competency. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let
0: me. Um, well, I'll have these in the uh, in that podcast notes for everybody.
1: Yeah. Empath help
0: is, that, Health Health is okay. the other one. E M P A T H Yeah.
1: Empath help. E M P A T H H A. Okay. All right. So great. We've got about I don't know we've got about sixty or seventy videos I, I think on that and then that one's like I said we get a lot of. There's a lot of traffic to that site. A lot of people who are empathic, highly sensitive people who are looking for help. And we my wife and I are both teachers and trainers and <laughs> we only teach the how, not the what. Everybody else teaches the what. This is what you should do. Yeah. But they never tell you how to do it. That's
0: right. So we're all the man who teaches you how to do
1: it. We want to teach you how to do it.
0: Yeah. Well so what every, are they? Yeah. Well, go, go ahead, Doug. I'm I was
1: just going to say, so we, we break everything down. Step A, step B, step C. This is how you do it. Practice it this way.
0: Well, I want to thank you, Doug, for being on the podcast and sharing with us uh, your work and all the valuable information uh, you have provided us today. I wish you uh, good fortune going forward. And anybody out there who has comments and suggestions for the podcast, uh, you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and group. Uh, growing very nicely. It's a wrap with rap. We're on Instagram. It's a wrap with rap podcast. All the episodes are on YouTube. It's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. I want to thank everyone for listening and want everyone to please stay safe out there. And for now, it's a wrap.